So as our partnership was cementing, that deal was closing in, he used a very small window of time to both try to sideline me and the ones that I could share in on and steal the ones that he could take. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete, proven, step-by-step -step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with Henry Braffell. Henry, are you ready to rock? Yes, I am. <laughs> so let me tell the audience about you. Henry is a management consultant and venture capital professional. He advocates for the highest ethical standards, value of a secure and diversified supply chain, which is very important these days, and the power of people and technology to bring innovation to the marketplace. Henry helps clients raise capital, operationalize their ideas into businesses, and monetize their products and services for the benefit of all stakeholders. Henry, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. I'm from New York originally, New York City specifically, in Long Island. And I spent many years in North Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina, Florida. So I've lived all over California, some time in London. And I've got to see a broad range of how people interact with each other, both in business and in personal life. And I, what I've come to the conclusion is, is that most people are good, but they are frequently influenced by money. And so a lot of the things, the themes that you have in this podcast are, are very much part of our personal business experiences. Mm, yes. Money can certainly corrupt and power also. So, well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be. Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So I think that some of my worst experiences were not early on in my career. When you think that someone would really encounter it, it would be more recent, believe it or not. When you leave the confines of corporate America and you branch out onto your own in an entrepreneurial way and you find that what you have from those experiences and the people you've met are very valuable. And what I found was, was the people in one of these experiences who wanted to be a business partner of mine, who promised me a lot, who wasn't asking a lot of investment for me, was actually scamming me the most out of anybody ever, including those that tried to scam me with financial, I guess, requests for financial participation. When I realized that my time and my contacts and my resources, existing business endeavors were very valuable, and this person typically wanted me to be a part of their company. They offered me 50%, which made sense. We had deals on the table from a, major, a few major tech companies to be supplier in an outsourced way, but still you know, subcontracted in a major way. I was bringing on venture deals that were numerous and of, of value and could very well be pitched in the right way. And I put my own personal resources into the business for a number of months. As we got closer and closer to a deal, you started to see the behavior change, started to see Things that I chalked up to being just people getting to know each other over a series of months, there was nothing to steal. So I, I was looking out for the snake-like behavior that really money tends to sometimes encourage. And as we got closer to a perform date for us on a temporary to a permanent contract for a partnership and our deals were coming together at the same time, I saw it pulling back and I questioned him about it. 
and over an hour and a half convinced me the opposite. And some of the nefarious things that I had brought up were then, I guess, tabled. So over the next week, I saw even further where one of the private deals that I had brought to the table and used as a personal private deal investment, I'd used as leverage to try to get work and participation from him from another deal within the business became a series of actions that only didn't benefit me, but actually ruined my participation in all of it. Mm. And so towards the end, I saw him try to steal the deal from me with the client that I had brought in, tried to actually completely, I found out was lying to all of the clients that I had brought in and was not actually looking for the venture money that I'd asked him to do while I was out looking for new deals to fund. And oh yeah, he decided he was going to tell me on Christmas Eve that I was not part of the deals that he had brought to the table that were now closing, but which I had been limited to in my account management and business development activities, wasn't able to engage with all the time. So as our partnership was cementing, that deal was closing in, he used a very small window of time to both try to sideline me and the ones that I could share in on and steal the ones that he could take. Mm. And how did that feel? How did you react to that at that moment? It was Christmas time and I was able to, I'm a very resilient person. So I said, you know, obviously New York is a small town, right? The business community is small and I know a lot of people. And I knew that that would eventually take its, you know, make its way out. And there'd be a point in time where those facts would have to align with the realities on the ground, right? Mm. Um, about the results. And I think that what I realized was that it was a very, very expensive, unnecessary endeavor because between myself and between him, there was plenty of money to go around, plenty of deals. The greed is what sidelined you know, my participation and really ruined my time, but also threw us into an era now where, which is Corona. So it pushed, it really pushed, we don't know how long that's going to be. Mm. So in essence, this person's stupidity both killed the deal that was personally that I brought to the table. Obviously the client who's so close with didn't do the deal with us because I wouldn't have either. I advised him not to, but he also was able to take his own deal that he brought to the table and sideline me. But you know, now I'm starting to see that that deal's falling apart as well for him. So mm. what I understand. Yep. So what I'm saying is here is, is everybody wasn't their own worst enemy. We'd all tend to benefit. <laughs> so let's go through the lessons that you learned from this. Yeah, I would say that always question whether someone wants to sign an NDA or not. And that's the number one thing. The reason being is, is NDAs really don't mean much, but they do set a, uh, unless they're very powerful, unless you're asking something very big of someone who is very powerful, I think not signing an NDA is questionable. And make it a mutual one. Don't make it one way. Yep. So that's the way you set up, a, just even if it's just spiritually or morally set up a construct, which you both can approach this thing knowing that both want to do the same thing, which is engage mm. morally, engage from a good place. And don't be afraid to sign something because what are they going to enforce? I mean, really, I mean, I think it's about stating your principles, who you are. But if they don't want to sign it and then yep. you're not asking something very big of them, for them not to sign it means there's something to hide or something that you can't engage on. And if that's the case, why are you there? Mm. I think the second thing you should think about is why temporary contracts exist. Why do people want to change in the middle? Why isn't it a living, breathing document in some ways? And why are certain timelines and deals really there? They are there to generally benefit one party over another. I think if someone doesn't want to sign a deal, then there is hesitation on the part of the person, sorry, a permanent deal. The hesitation because they don't believe in you or you don't believe in them, where there are some things that could really get in the way of valuation. And that's a real problem if you don't hash it out early. And the third thing is, is understand that 
what happens in business if you're not on the same page and not working towards the same goal, which is frequently the case in venture capital, but it tends to hash out in PE down the road, I think is an essential piece of getting it right, the formula. So you have to both, all everybody along the, along the value chain from the founder and the first early employees all the way through to either a PE strategy or an IPO, all have to be aligned for a business to work. If they don't, you get something like a MySpace eventually that ends up just dying and not getting Facebook taking over simply because the VC people don't really care about the founders and the founders don't care about the value being conveyed or being passed along to PE in the public markets. Mm, got it. Okay. And let me summarize what I took away and then let's see. The first one is trust. After you know interviewing many people about their worst investment, I've come up with six common mistakes and mistake number four, meaning it's less common, it's more common that people fail to do their research, but it's less common, but it's common, and that is misplaced trust. And I think that this is a good reminder of something that I always say is that there's no shortcut to trust. You know, you could be lucky that you meet someone that you don't know well, but that person is a trusting and a trustworthy person. But the reality is that you really get to know who you know who you can trust over time through difficult times. And you know, I, I'm constantly going back to my businesses and looking at my business partners. One of them I've been together with for 35 years, you know, another one, or let's say known each other for 35 years and been in business together for 25 years. The other one, 20 years that we've been in business working together and the other one about getting up on 10 years. So I think that reminds me too about the temporary contracts and things like that. Like the idea is you want to find the people that you trust and work with them and build a long-term relationship. And the other thing I, I really was interested in your discussion about the NDA and it made me realize one thing about an NDA that I thought about is that it, it takes away excuses like, let's say the CEO saying, well, I can't tell you about this or that, you know, because, you know, we didn't sign an NDA or they can, they can hide behind that. When once an NDA is signed, then it makes it a little bit more of a level playing field. If they want to hide something, it's just going to be more problematic. So that's something that you agree. think about. So any thoughts on those? I agree. I agree hundred percent. I think that the NDA thing is symbolic, right? But it's also practical. And I think in a lot of ways, what I found was is that, but what's even more crazy about this is this, I've seen people reject my mutual NDA and then put forth a one-way NDA as if that's going to, A, convey the right value system, but also who would I be if I signed that, as is the third party who was also being presented that NDA, right? Mm. Why? Is there something so state secret? And if it is, you don't want to talk about it with us, why are you even having the conversation in the first place? Right. That's the first part. Second part is, is with my particular story, the person I'd gotten to know over nine months before I signed the temporary contract, this person worked me for nine months, right? And we know what their line was over those nine months. I'm so honest. I'm so this. I'm so that. They played to what they knew I wanted to hear. And mm. it was so sociopathic that they had ingrained this line because they knew that people like me would want to hear that. And that's the only way he would be able to get me to do it. Now, I thought along the way that other people, other business associates, people outside of my organization would let me know about that. Mm. And no one did because I think you, I encountered a very specific type of sociopath who didn't do it for the money because he didn't ask me for an investment 
was collaborative and shared, who was telling me information about his company and my company that made sense if we got together. What I think what he was lying wait for was that small, sharp window of time. And he was able to convey that and do it in a way that actually spoke to a very rare breed of, of person who was, it was about the money, but didn't really, wasn't really smart about how they did it with the wrong person. <laughs> mm. Mm. All right. So based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Never be a sole proprietor or is the only person having information about your own deal. Meaning always have people around you in a very brain trust type way mm. that allows you to have an outside view of what's happened. You don't have to take that view. You don't have to agree with everything they say. But what it does do is get you, shakes, rattles your thinking away from the siloed information that you may bring to the table as 100% truthful, but what another person may only bring 90% or 50%. You just don't know. In which case, it leaves you vulnerable to not at least having done your due diligence on an ongoing way with the engagement. Not necessarily that you didn't do your due diligence before you got there. Got it. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? I would say my number one goal is I've included some business partners on my venture capital firm that I really enjoy. I think they do well. I think we created this brain trust type scenario. I think it would be to take the deals that we've done and make them successful, help other people be successful because that exponential growth of financial security and productivity breeds other exponential growing scenarios that I think will be important to, to getting through what we're going through now. Mm, fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of laws to keep you winning to find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk. Visit my worstinvestmentever.com. Now, Henry, as we end, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones who has turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just keep going. And that is really powerful advice in these days of COVID. Just keep going. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.